uh, I remember when I was a teenager learning to, to drive a, a stick shift. How many of you can drive a stick shift? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, does anyone here currently have a stick shift? That, yeah, every, at both services, those numbers dramatically dropped. Uh, yeah, they don't, it's, it's hard to find a stick shift anymore. They don't really make them even too much unless you're buying like a nice sports car. Um, it's not something that comes, forgive the pun, standard anymore. Uh, it, it's just, and probably, you know, younger drivers, I don't, I don't know that like my daughter who's 16 and driving, have you ever seen a stick shift, Alex? Do you know? No, she doesn't even know what a stick shift is, which is sad. Uh, we're we're going to just teach her to drive a regular car first, and then she's doing pretty good, but, but we're not ready for stick yet. Uh, but I remember when I was first driving, uh, I, had a, I, I was driving a stick shift, and I, I finally got the courage to go see my friend because he lived on a hill, and it was scary. Um, and I, I remember it was only the first couple days of driving it, and he was like, how you like driving it? And I was like, it's cool, but I can't listen to my music like the normal loud level that I do because I can't hear the engine to hear when I have to shift. And he looked at me kind of weird, and he was like, why do you have to listen to the engine in order to shift? He's like, he's like just give it another day or two. And he's like, you'll just feel it. You'll just feel when it's time to shift. He's like, you don't have to listen. You'll just know. Um, and... and he was also the friend. Here's the, here's the second thing I learned about driving a stick shift is it's a whole lot more important to put the emergency brake on. Because um, if you don't do that, it, it, goes, it goes sideways real fast. Because the same one that said, like, you don't need to, like, listen. You just feel it, and then you can shift. He's the same one that said, like, oh, hey, there goes your truck. Because um, I forgot to put on the emergency brake. Um, but... But in Romans chapter 12, a shift happens. In Romans 12, he starts out by saying, therefore. And we've said this different times when we were studying the Bible. If you see a therefore, it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice. But it says, therefore, and, and we've said this before, that anytime you see a therefore, you should go and see what it's there for. That, that he's really saying, okay, based on this, then this. So I went there and it was therefore. So I thought, okay, well, like for this week, since we've been moving through Romans, like, What's the therefore, therefore, that we can connect it back to last week? And I, I, I was like, so is the therefore there about the Gentiles being grafted into God's plan? Or is the therefore there for God's relationship with Israel, that the Gentiles were invited in because the Jews rejected Jesus? Was it 
for the end of chapter 11 and the end of the chapter 11, he ends it by saying, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. He ends it by praising him. He says, how impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways for who can know the Lord's thoughts, which are great verses for 2020. It's like, I don't know. Um, He says, who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Therefore, and I was like, amen. It it almost seems like he should be just ending the book of Romans. Like all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. End the book of Romans. But then Romans goes on for another four chapters. And so I I was like trying to figure out where the therefore was there for. And it's because this giant shift is happening in the book of Romans. See, up till chapter 12, all through the first 11 chapters, he's talking all about doctrine. He's up to that point talking about ways of thinking. He's talking about how we should think about things, how we should see ourselves, how we should understand the world and see how God is working in it. I mean, think about Romans up till now from the beginning when we started uh, a few months ago. He starts by building this case that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we've all sinned, that the world is broken, that the world is on this trajectory of sin and brokenness, but that through Jesus, he, he sets things right, that, that we need faith in Jesus, that faith in Jesus is more important than religion and doing all the right things and not doing all the wrong things, that because Jesus has broken the power of sin over us, we're now we're getting into six, seven, and, and eight, because Jesus has broken sin's power over us, Our lives can be more than religious rules because sin has no power over us and we can live in God's spirit. And then he goes on from 8, 9, 10, 11 to say that because of our freedom from sin and our life in God's spirit, we are God's children. We're adopted. We're grafted into his family. We're part of the family of God. So he says all of that, therefore... So this, therefore, it represents this giant shift of based on everything I've set up until now, and he's shifting gears in the book of Romans, and he's going to start talking about how to live out what we believe. So since we live in a sinful world and are all sinful, and since it's faith in Jesus, that's the main thing. And since Jesus broke the power of sin over us so that we can live in the Spirit's power and not just weighed by, down by all the do's and don'ts, and since we've been made part of God's people, so since all of that is true, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy that we just sang about, Since all of that is true, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A living sacrifice in view of God's mercy 
sacrifice yourself. In view of God's mercy, you have to make a shift in how you live. And not just a little shift, a sacrificial shift in how you live. If you sacrifice yourself, you don't get to live for yourself at all anymore because you've sacrificed it. You've killed it. You've ended that. You've given it up. You give all of yourself up to God, living in a way that will please him. And he says, this is how you worship. It's not by singing songs. It's not by doing good things or bad things. That the way that you worship is giving up all of you to him. Living sacrifice. Holy pleasing to God. Holy meaning set apart. A living sacrifice. Completely setting your part, self apart to God. This is how you worship. So let me ask you, look back at your week this past week, all the things you've done this past week. Who did you live this last week for? Maybe it's time to shift. Verse two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He said, stop living like the world lives. Stop acting like the world acts. Stop thinking the way the world thinks. Allow yourself to be changed by God giving you a new mind about things. But it's amazing how much we still think and act and live like the world, isn't it? Especially for those of us who have sacrificed our entire lives for the sake of Christ. It's amazing how much is in an organization of people called the church that we still act and think like organizations out in the world when all a church is supposed to be is a bunch of people who have completely given up all of their rights and life and sacrificed it for the sake of Jesus. But when he says that you do that, when you stop conforming to the world, but you begin to transform through the renewing of your mind. He says, when you do that, then you can test things in your life. That you can discern what the will of God is 
for your life. When you stop conforming and thinking and acting like the world does and start letting God transform your mind, then you can begin to test and discern what the will of God is in your life. So many Christians are desperate to find out, to figure out what, what is God, God's will for my life. What, what is God's will for me in this situation? What is God's will in how I should think in this situation? How I should act in this situation? So many Christians desperate to find out what the will of God is for their life. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. How to discern what that is. Well, Paul just told us. He just told us how. He said, don't act like the world. Let God change the way you think. And how do you do that? How do you change the way you think? Well, how do you learn to think the way someone else thinks? Spend time with them. Spend lots of time with them. The more you spend time in the, prayer, in the word and in prayer, the more you'll have your mind transformed and the more you'll be able to discern what God's will is. The more you t- spend time with somebody, the more you understand what their mind is and how their mind works and the way they think things. Bethany and I, we've been married and or dating together for the past 22 years. We know how each other thinks. It just happened yesterday where, where she knew a joke that I was thinking and I wasn't even in the same place. There's times where I'll, I'll just, we'll be talking about something and she'll just see a glint in my eye and she'll say, don't say it. She just knows, because she knows how my mind thinks, and that is scary. But, but she just knows, because she's spent a whole lot of time with me. If you want to know how God thinks, spend a lot of time with him. If you want to know how to be able to test and discern the will of God, then spend time with God. Spend time in his word and you will begin to learn what God thinks. So think back on your week. Did you think the thoughts after God? Think how the world lives. Did you live like that? Did you live like them? Think how the world acts. Did you act like that? How does, how does the world think about things in 2020? Do you think like the rest of them? along the same lines with the same thought processes as everybody else in the world in 2020? Think about how the world expresses itself. 
Do you sound like the world in the way that you express yourself? Can you test and discern the will of God for your life? Can you? Because if not, God may be calling you to shift. If you're saying, I just really can't test it. I can't figure it out. I can't discern what God's will is. Maybe God's calling you to shift. He goes on in verse three. He says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul, he says, I give each of you a warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. He says, look, if you're gonna really be a living sacrifice, if you're really going to sacrifice everything and be a living sacrifice for me, you've got to realize it is not about you anymore. It is not about you. That's got to shift. If you're going to be a living sacrifice, that has to shift because it is not about you anymore. If you're going to be a living sacrifice, you've got to give up this idea that it's about you. Because when you're following Jesus, it's all about him. On top of that, on top of it's all about Jesus, it has nothing to do with you anymore. If you've sacrificed yourself, if you are a living sacrifice, it has nothing to do with you anymore. It's all about Jesus. But on top of that, you are part of Christ's body now. And it's, so it's not just about, it's not about you, it's about Jesus and it's about us because we make up Christ's body. We're all in this together. We all belong to each other. Paul is saying, look, if you are a living sacrifice, if you've given up yourself for me, don't think it's about you anymore. But when you hear people talk about church, so many times you hear people talk about I, and you hear people talk about me. Well, I didn't feel like I was being fed. Well, the, the music, it's not the kind I like. Well, the, that guy, that person, he, he didn't even come talk to me. I couldn't make it because I had something going on. Oh, I don't like the fact that you're doing this this way, so I'm not gonna come right now. Oh, my heart's not in it. Well, you know what? It's not about you, cupcake. It's not about what you want. It's not about your desires. It's not, it's, you've, if you are a living sacrifice, it doesn't matter. If, if you're married, you can't just say, well, like, I, my heart's not in my marriage today, so I, I guess I don't have to participate in it. No, the two became one. It, so it's not just about you. It doesn't matter if your heart's in it or not. You have to participate in your marriage. If you are a living sacrifice, if you have said, uh, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus, it, it doesn't matter what you feel like. 
It doesn't matter if you are happy or not. It doesn't matter if you feel like you are being fed. It doesn't matter if the music is the kind you like. I don't like the fact that you're doing this, so I'm not going to come right now. It isn't just about you anymore. Look at verse four. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage one another, encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You know what it, you know what it doesn't say? That doesn't say all those things, that's the pastor's job. That doesn't say those things, prophesying, speaking out, and ser- serving, and teaching, and all that. It doesn't say that, that's the elder's job. You don't have to worry about that. That doesn't say that you don't have to do anything else other than show up on Sunday or watch or listen online. That says that you have a job to do. That says that God has given you a gift. And it says that you have to put that gift that God has given you, that you have to put that gift to work. And not only do you have to put that gift to work, you have to put it to work and you have to put it to work well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If you're a servant, serve well. It says take that gift that God has given you, not me. Take that gift that God has given you and use it and use it well. Because if you don't, we're all one body and we'll all suffer for it. If you don't use the gift God has given you and show up, then the church doesn't function like it should. And all you have to do is look around the country right now to figure out that something isn't clicking in the church. And maybe it has to do with the fact that you all aren't doing your God-given job and we're coming up crippled. Maybe something needs to shift and you need to start showing up. And I'm not saying you have to show up for a service. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to start showing up for Jesus. I'm saying you need to start showing up 
using your gifts alongside your brothers and sisters and stop sitting on your butt and waiting for something and present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You sit there in a service or you sit there and watch online, but if you don't show up and be part of the body of Christ using the gift that God has given you well, you're not living as a living sacrifice. And I'm telling you, it's time for a shift. Don't waste what God has given you. Because remember what we, what we read last week? He said, you were grafted in, but that can be taken away. Don't waste what God has given you. Do you want to know how living like a living sacrifice begins to play out in a Christian's life? Well, you want to know what a transformed mind looks like? Well, that's what he's going to do in the rest of Romans is he's going to begin to lay out if you're really going to be a living sacrifice, if you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this is what it begins to look like. This is what it looks like when you start to make that shift in your life. So he starts in verse nine. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. If you've made that shift in your life, if you're a living sacrifice now, that, that your love must be sincere. That you hate what is evil. Not you still mess around with it sometimes. Not you kind of buddy up to it and, and rationalize it. No, you hate what is evil. You cling to what is good. Verse 10, he says, be devoted to one another in love. Are you devoted to one another? Kind of goes back to the idea of showing up. If you're not showing up and being a part of this thing called the church and putting your gifts to work, are you devoted? Makes you think of Acts 2.42 where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, and devoted themselves to the fellowship. Honor one another above yourselves. I like how the ESV puts it. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. And again, it's not, oh, they're not honoring me. It's who are you honoring? It says, outdo that person. 
You, you, somebody, you're saying, oh, well, that, that person's not showing me honor. Okay, outdo them. Show them honor. It goes back to the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If they're not showing you honor, okay, outdo them. Show them honor. Anyway, if somebody is honoring you, then you step it up and you try and outdo them. Honor one another above yourselves. It would completely change this church. It would completely change every church. It would completely change our world if, if we all started walking out the door and going like, everybody I come in contact this week, I'm gonna try to honor them above me. I'm gonna try to outdo them in just how I honor them. That'll change your marriage. If you go into your marriage every day and saying, you know what, I'm going to try and outdo how I honor my wife or how I honor my husband. As much honor as they show me, I'm going to outdo it. Have, have an honor contest in your marriage. It won't hurt it. You know what, I, I bet this year would look a lot different if Christians were honoring one another above ourselves. If we outdid the people around us at honoring them. Verse 11, he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Some of y'all kind of got spiritually lazy over this year. It was easy to do. Just right now, do, do what Paul says back in verse four. He says, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Does zeal describe you? Does spiritual fervor describe how you're serving the Lord right now? Be honest with yourself. When you hear, when it says, when he says, keep your spiritual fervor, does that describe you? Because that does describe somebody who's a living sacrifice. Zeal, spiritual fervor, that if somebody is completely 100% sold out, all in for Jesus, then that's just a natural byproduct. Verse 12, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. There's a good verse for 2020. Does that describe you? Be joyful, be joyful, be joyful in 2020, be joyful in hope because there's still a lot of hope because we have Jesus. Be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, 
be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And I get it. That's a little harder to do in 2020, to practice hospitality. But it's no less true, and it's no less a command. We just got to get creative in how we practice hospitality. But here's the interesting thing. That's all one verse. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Share with people in need. How? By practicing hospitality and inviting them in. That's where it calls you to this whole other level of living sacrifice. And the sacrifice actually causes you to have to get sacrificial because that says if you see somebody in need, practice hospitality. It's not convenient or easy, but sacrifice never is. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Some of y'all need to be blessing people right now that up until this point, blessing them has been the last thing on your mind. Blessing them has not been the thing that you've been thinking about doing to them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Who have you mourned with this year? Because there's been plenty of mourning to go around. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You know, I... I think most Christians would say they believe that, but how many Christians actually do it? Who do you associate with in the way that Jesus associated with people, in that style, in that way, in that kind of love? Who do you associate with that is in low position? Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Again, that's awful hard to do. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do you want to just be a people pleaser? 
No, but look at verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Uh, Again, it's not about, well, 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 but that person, they, no, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Doesn't matter what they do. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. says, there's only one Avenger, and it's not Thor or Captain America or Tony Stark. There's only one Avenger, and it's not you. And I got to tell myself that sometimes, because there's a lot of times I think about, I want to I pay them back. I want to, I want to, prove myself. I, wanna, I, want, I want justice to be done. I, I need to take care of that. And, and you can spend all kind of time thinking about doing that. And sometimes you just have to stop yourself and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm, I'm supposed to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, which means I got to tell myself, nope, you don't get to be the Avenger. When, when I started thinking about... I want to see this person get what's coming to them. Just pray and say, Lord, I'm giving that to you. You you deal with it. Verse 20, he says, on the contrary. Don't you take care of it. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is Thirsty? Give him something to drink. Now, you know, that just, that sounds a lot like Jesus. That sounds a lot like stuff Jesus said about loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you. But how often do we actually do it? Serving our enemies. The people that we were thinking like, I need to be the avenger and show that and make sure justice gets done. Instead, nope, I'm going to leave that to God. I'm going to love them and serve them. How often do we actually do that? Being a living sacrifice it's just not easy. It's not easy. But that's how we worship. He goes on to say, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. It's a good thing to remember, but remembering that there's only one avenger not being nice to them so that you can really get them. 
You're not feeding them brisket so that sooner or later they'll have a heart attack. Knowing that I'm going to love them, and yeah, that may convict them. I'm going to leave that up to the Lord. And he finishes chapter 12 of, okay, you want to be a living sacrifice? Here's where to start. And talks about just different things to do. He finishes it by saying, Don't, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And then for the next few chapters through 16, he's going to get real practical and he's going to get real personal and he's going to really start to dig down into your personal life and, and talk to you about how you should live in relationship to the government. And, and if you're a living sacrifice, this is how you live in relationship to other people. And it really digs down into how you should live. And it's really relevant for the world that we're living in today. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. In view of God's mercy to you, that in view of God's mercy that your sins are forgiven, that you've been washed clean by the blood of the lamb, that as many times as you fall down and as many times as you sin and as many times as you, you miss the mark, that you've been forgiven. In view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Like I said at the beginning of the message, my friend said, you just get to a point where you feel it's time to make the shift. And my prayer this week has been that God's word, as we've read through it today, has, it, it, that it's been living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And that some of you right now, as I've gone through this, that there's been points of it that you've gotten uncomfortable and you can feel the strain and you can feel the stress a little bit and you know it's time to shift. That some of you are sensing God's spirit right now and he's got you to a point where you feel it's time to shift. It's time. Shift now. Be transformed. Discern God's will for you in this moment. Might be time to shift. Let's pray.